0: our heads. dear heavenly father thank you for this incredible privilege of gathering together on an evening like this one father an evening that you've ordained from eternity past to your glory father thank you for providing us by means of grace mercy and love this opportunity to fellowship together in your son's good name father we pray for those that can't be with us this evening or are traveling We pray for those also that are still lost in this world. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work and all that he accomplished on our behalf on the cross to make an evening like this a reality. May we never become familiar with it, Father. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. The Lord is our confidence. Uh, Fantastic principles have been coming from the pulpit, as always. uh, This last week, the Spirit sort of honed our attention on the concept of confidence. Uh, Obviously, it's been in our series title now for 30 parts. Um, But he really wanted to think us us through uh, a different aspect of it, I think. And he put Jesus Christ at the forefront as the standard bearer of confidence. And so whenever he does that, when he says, hey, listen, this is what Jesus was, and you're a Christian, uh, God's trying to sanctify you to him, to the likeness of him. And so he's the standard bearer. Whenever he does that, we have to, it's his way of saying, Uh, Look at the Delta between the two of you. Look at where you're at and look at the standard bearer So we have to step back and contemplate our so-called Self-confidence and I hope you understand the way that uh, it's being used from the pulpit as of late There's nothing strictly speaking wrong with self-confidence if your confidence is derived from Jesus Christ I'm using the I'm using the frame of reference that the world uses The world talks about self-confidence and it has nothing to do with jesus christ and so when i use it here you'll it should in context make sense um we have to step back though nonetheless and contemplate our so-called self-confidence against what jesus christ had and has for confidence the spirit answered this question very clearly for us up here in the board the source of confidence Jesus is the only person worthy of possessing self-confidence. In the strictest way of thinking about self-confidence, he's the only one worthy because he was perfect. Our confidence must be in him, not in ourselves. We might call this then Christ confidence. So whenever I hear that uh, in lay terms out in the street, uh, my brain does a little bit of a a, a flip-flop. It just says... Okay, in my head, I'm thinking Christ confidence. I'm not thinking self-confidence the way uh, the world thinks of it. I'm thinking of Christ confidence, and and that's the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. So we also investigated the link between confidence and something uh, we call uh, depression. And um, again, I warned you on Sunday not to take that leap of disgustingness. Uh, and adopt yet another word from the world system Uh, when I think of depression I wrote a blog on it when I think of depression I don't think of it the way the world thinks about it it doesn't carry any of the stigmas it doesn't carry any of that garbage with it I just think of it in a very pure sense depressed pressed down that's how uh, we ought to think about depression and so we investigated the link between confidence and depression. And you might be saying, wait a minute, aren't those, you know, sort of opposites? And you're very correct, they are, in that sense. But the cautionary tale that the Spirit had me share with you in this past week's blog, gave you all some connective tissue to consider in your own lives. Why would um, anyone in the faith become depressed? press down where's the confidence what happened to the confidence and we're going to investigate that this uh, evening some more the point excuse me the point of the blog was to say hey listen if you make the mistake of turning towards self for any form of confidence whatsoever you will ultimately suffer for it if you turn towards Self, if you make that grave mistake, you're going to suffer for it. And that was, the, that was the essence of the block. Because turning away from Christ, being in Christ, being made new in Christ with all His commands on us, turning away from Him, is that the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? It's the wrong thing to do. And if you know it's the wrong thing to do, then it's a sin. So says Holy Scripture. And so anytime you turn away, you will suffer for it. Because sin is the source of all misery so when I say any form of confidence in self what I'm really doing is purposely using a very broad stroke to describe the danger a very broad stroke as some of you say oh well I'm not a chess beater you know I don't walk around and I'm not overtly arrogant Uh, read my book on covert arrogance it's still up there seriously Go back and read it. It's not that long, but read it. You might be convicted. You might say, I didn't realize that I was that arrogant. Overtly, maybe not. Covertly, ooh, I guess I am. And we all have that disease in us. Uh, Just because no one can see it doesn't mean God can't. Just because no one can see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so you have to paint a very broad stroke. When I say any form of confidence in self, that's what I'm talking about. You know that, that little thing back there that still kind of, you know, props you up in self, that thing. For example, have you ever made a financial decision? These are just examples, just to get you thinking in the right vector. Have you ever made a financial decision that you knew? You knew it was solely for self-gratification in the absence of even a modicum of gratitude to God? Have you ever done that? Have you ever made a financial decision that you knew was solely for self-gratification? How about um, have you ever entered into a friendship with someone knowing that they couldn't care less about Christ? Have you ever done that? Or here's one more. Have you ever allowed your flesh to absorb some of the credit for something you know full well God has accomplished in you? I wrote another blog, it's coming out this week, titled, Looking in the Mirror. Because (laughs) we're supposed to examine ourselves in the mirror, right? I mean, that's the whole idea. But a lot of times we're impressed with what we see. But the thing that impresses us is actually a work of God. And so do you ever do that? Do you ever take credit for the work that God's done in you? And I was thinking about that last one because that's one of those real subtle ones. That's the one nobody sees, right? That's not the covert beating a chest one. That's that, I mean, that's not the overt. It's the covert one. It's the real dangerous one. And that's how I describe uh, covert arrogance in the book. Uh, it's the more dangerous of the two. I think this latter one is a pitfall that a lot of ministers fall into. Again, have you ever allowed your flesh to absorb any of the credit for something you know God has accomplished in you? And ministers are famous for this, sadly. They get puffed up after standing behind the pulpit for a while, thinking that they are saying or what they are saying is, you know, their own wisdom speaking. In other words, look at me. I've been at this for a while now. Just just listen to me. Just don't even Just listen to me. They get that air about them. That's a very dangerous, slippery slope that a lot of ministers fall into. That's not from God. As I mentioned last week, I'm just a rip-off specialist. That's the very best I can ever hope to be. Any minister. This is what a good minister is, a rip-off specialist. He is supernaturally adept, granted he's got certain supernaturally powered skills. He's supernaturally adept at organizing and regurgitating holy scripture and holy doctrines. If he's not ripping off the word of God, he's ripping off God's glory. Does that make sense? If he's not ripping off the Word of Now, ripping off the Word of God is a very good thing. But ripping off God's glory isn't. So if he's not ripping off the Word of God, then he's ripping off God's glory to his own detriment as well as the flock's. In other words, if a minister departs from these strict guidelines, he ought to be removed from office. I have that conversation quite often, um, Probably whether or not I like it or whether I like it or not is not the issue But I have to have that conversation with myself Am I fit for office? And there's been several times in my life where I said you get re- you probably not right now But in God cures me. Thank God uh, for my benefit and all of yours But it's a slippery slippery slope that ministers can fall down uh, the moment any minister, and now before you go pointing fingers at me, I've taught you this, you are all ministers. You all have ministries. Most of, or Some of you work still. Um, you all are busy people. You all have other people in your life, right? You, you come into contact anywhere from probably a few people to maybe hundreds of people, depending on your job or your life. You all have ministries. The moment any minister introduces self-confidence versus Christ's confidence into the mix. They have departed from the very will of God. The end result is always the same, even though depending on God's patience on the matter, they may not recognize the discipline right away. And that's another thing that I tried to bring out in that blog. There was a lot in there. A lot of people don't realize um, that discipline from God is very often i think i've written a blog on this i know i've taught on it is very often our own good conscience pummeling us you don't sleep at night you're you're uncomfortable um, even it shows on your countenance you're just being overcome with misery that's discipline it's because you know better it's when you're guilty before a holy god and you refuse to repent. And you live in sin. God doesn't come down and go, hey, you know, physically smack you. And He doesn't take your steering wheel and drive you into a tree and say, there, that's what you get. He says, I've got a much better, more consistent lever. I'm just going to have my spirit haunt you. I'm going to have the Word of God be pressed into your soul. And you're going to be convicted for as long as you remain uh, unrepentant. And I'm going to press you down, depress you. I'm going to press you down because of it. That, my friends, is discipline. How else do you think, what's the, what do you think God does to discipline you otherwise? There's a reason why he gave you a conscience, by the way, so that you can distinguish between right and wrong. Uh, Let's revisit an old friend. Go to Galatians 6, 3. Galatians 6, verse 3. And the connective tissue so far is that anytime you put confidence in the flesh, you turn your back away from, or you turn your back to God. You depart from what is righteous. We're going to get into that again this evening because righteousness in you bears good fruit. And one of the fruit, of course, which makes sense for our lessons, is confidence. Galatians 6:3 For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's a lesson on self-confidence. If you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. <coughs> <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, Galatians six six again. <laughs> the one who is taught the word, that's you, is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. <coughs> That's me. Oh, I'm just saying. I'm just busting. Just getting you a little giggle. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And think about, as an example, ministry. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap reap eternal life let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary so then while we have the opportunity let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith that's a tremendous verse verse 10 while we have the opportunity let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith that's a that's a good message for everyone in here to think about there are a lot of people um especially the elderly Uh, i don't know who originated this but my mom used to say it to me sometimes uh the the older you get the more invisible you get and that's garbage that's i mean the the people we should be looking after the most in in many ways are the elderly we shouldn't be they shouldn't become invisible to that they should become Uh, uh, highly esteemed by us and instead of taking care of our friends you know oh, my friends car broke let me go give him a thousand dollars what about the old people in the church how about those people instead of visiting your friend who's depressed because they lost fantasy football why don't you go visit one of these old people in the hospital go say hello Instead of texting your friends all day long about stupid crap, why not text an old person and say, hey, just thinking about you. Why not do that? I'm just saying. That's the kind of thing. While we have the opportunity, let us do good. And by the way, start with your parents. Some of you take your parents for uh, granted. Horribly so. And some of you are parents and your children do it to you. Horribly so. Think about how simply stated this phrase in Galatians 6.10 is up here in the board. Let me help you. While we have the opportunity, let us do good. Life is short. That's a fact. God is good. That's a fact. Let us take advantage of what little time we have on this earth to bring glory to the one who saves us. You are saved daily, Remember? The only reason you're able to text your stupid friend who could care less about Jesus Christ is because God gave you another day to live and breathe. Amen? Okay. While we have the opportunity, let us do good. Let us do good. Okay? Let us take advantage of what little time we have on this earth to bring glory to the one who saves us. Let us avoid the trappings of creature credit. For example, self-confidence instead of Christ-confidence. In so many wonderful ways, the Bible speaks clearly about this primitive danger of forgetting the point on the board. It's just primitive. We get spun up in the details of life and we forget. Life is short, God is good. Not difficult, just friendly reminders. And the primitive danger is that you forget that. Oh, I'll get to so-and-so tomorrow. Oh, I'll get to that thing tomorrow. And you just keep pushing it off because you're more important. Self, right? Confidence in self, confidence in the way you're living your life is larger than Christ's confidence, than living for others. That's the primitive danger. Life really is short. This danger, by the way, if you really think, This is why I love the Book of Genesis so much. This danger, this primitive danger, is the same one we see in the Garden at the Fall, where Satan tempted mankind's parents with self-wisdom. Self-wisdom is just another word for self-confidence. I have confidence in my knowledge. Right? Self-wisdom. Up here, uh, actually, go there. Go to Genesis three five. I don't have it for you. Go to Genesis three five. This is this is an ancient temptation. We all fall into it. We all forget that life is short. We all forget that God saves us daily. We all forget that God is good, and there is no other wellspring of good in this universe. Genesis 3.5. This is ancient, folks. For God knows, this is Satan speaking to the woman, right? This is the, this is the trickery. Look at what he says. Genesis 3.5. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What was the temptation? Self-wisdom. Don't you want to have confidence that originates with you? I mean, why have borrowed confidence? Why not, why not have your own? God's keeping something from you. Hmm. He lied and said, you will be like God. You'll have your own self-wisdom, self-generating wisdom up here on the board. You will be like God. This is Satan's way of saying, you'll have your own wisdom and you won't need to consult with God anymore. That's the death. Isn't that what you say, though? Isn't that what we say when we turn our back on God. We say, all right, I've heard enough. I'm going to go decide for myself. I'm going to go out in the world to get my own wisdom on this topic because I don't like what you're saying to me. I'm going to go get my own wisdom on this thing or that thing. That's the same temptation that was in the garden. Don't you want to be able to make your own way? Don't you want to have your own wisdom? Don't you want to be able to... Say, to to hell with God, I'm going to be able to discern on my own self-wisdom what's right and wrong. That's the great temptation from the very beginning. And it's just my job to remind you of such warnings in the Bible. And from time to time, as you've seen, to give you occasion to imitate my faith, a la Hebrews 13, 7, sharing with you cautionary tales, like the one I did this past week of reaping and sowing. I'm not speaking from inexperience. I'm speaking from recent, profound experience. But it's not about me, you see. This is about you. This is about whatever it is that you're doing right now. Whatever self-confidence you've been catering to right now. I don't know what that is. I don't really want to know. I know enough about you all. So I must remind you that ultimately deliverance is by grace, through faith, and the power of God, the Holy Spirit. So from that blog that I keep referring to, this is just a summary of much of what was said on that blog, the Great Depression. If we purchase or even allow ourselves to be influenced by the lie that encourages us to develop even small pockets of so-called self-confidence... We eventually exhaust ourselves into a state of depression. Putting faith in flesh is a disaster. Look at what happened in the garden. Don't you want to have self-wisdom? Yeah, here you go. And the end is the rest is history, right? On Sunday, the Spirit gave us some additional food for thought so that your pastor didn't remain a distant reminder because if you attach something like the blog just to me, when the blog fades out of memory, so does the the lesson for you. It's not attached to this person. It's supposed to attach to your soul. It's a gift, right? It's supposed to now uh, stick to you. (laughs) That's the way you're supposed to read the Bible. That's the way you're supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to read the Bible and go, man, Job was such an idiot. Or no, better yet, Job's wife was such a witch. Hmm. And you're judging her. You're casting aspersions at someone you've never met who happened to make a mistake. Hmm. I wonder which one God despises more. I wonder which one Jesus would call a hypocrite. Because he who is out with without sin should cast the first stone, right? I wonder which one. So the Spirit gave us some additional food for thought so that I wouldn't somehow just be the centerpiece of that lesson in that blog. That you all be blessed with perspective about your own lives. And so I don't know. I mean, these are just the examples that He gave me of misery. Some of you, if I ask you about work, oh, it's never, hey, you know what? I got to actually evangelize someone oh you know what this so-and-so what a sweet person this person is that i work with it's always oh you, if you only knew you know what you have a job how about that how about you have a job or oh god relationships right there's some people you just avoid like the plague because all they do is just bleed all over you about their relationships well guess what come to church and you have brothers and sisters in christ that's kind of cool how about food all i got to say about that is you're not starving americans are just unbelievable money again america you live in america none of us in here is shy of money you might say "Oh, i can't pay my bills and then maybe you just made some you just make some other choices nobody at this point in in my life personally asked me about money ever ever never and if they do they never like what i have to say Oh, I can't make my bills. Then sell your house and go live in a one-bedroom apartment that's still head and shoulders above how they live on the other side of the world. And they don't love Jesus any less. Matter of fact, they might even love him more than you do. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I don't have any money. Well, stop smoking or quit drinking or quit buying fancy shoes or or hats or whatever it is you spend your money on. I don't know, but, you know, it usually takes about, like, 38 milliseconds. Money, ugh. How about beauty, intellect, power? You know what? Stop complaining about that. God made you with a purpose. That's all I have to say about that. So, these are just examples of misery that with good perspective wouldn't exist. See, you want to have self-confidence in areas that God says, but I'm not giving you... That thing for that purpose, I want you to work us into the Lord I want you to befriend uh, members of the faith uh, I want you to eat and be grateful I want you to uh, know that i'll never leave you without enough money to survive on you might not get taco Bell and live in a you know and have a jacuzzi maybe you're eating you just bland food i don't know And do I really need to talk about beauty, intellect, and power? No. Here's the net-net, you ready? And this has been coming from the pulpit, whether you realize it or not, for months now. Months, and it started, it, it echoes back to our previous series, remember the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is the cause of misery. Sin is. Don't point fingers, it's sin. Sin is the cause of misery. Something as fundamental as not, let's, and again, this goes back to the covert, arrogant part. Everybody likes to itemize uh, overt sins and go, see, the, okay, I repent from this, this, and this. I, I punched the tree, I swore, I sin, you know, I lied, I did all this stupid stuff, right? But that's not, those aren't the ones that, that take us to misery in the worst way. They don't depress us. How about this? If sin is the cause of misery... Something as fundamental as not leaning on the promises of God is a sin. You're supposed to lean 100% on the grace of God. You know that. Anybody here not know that? Okay. So if you don't do that, if you put confidence in self, you are not doing that, which is a sin, which in turn is why you're miserable because you have a habit of doing that very thing. You don't lean on God. I think the religious part of us likes to focus on sins of commission. Things we do that we are commanded not to do. Things we do we're commanded not to do. In other words, God sets a standard and says, hey, you know, don't don't lie to your parents. I lied to my parents okay i put that down as a line item i repent from it i prayed on it god's cool with it that's all good that's absolutely necessary but we like to stop there we like to say that's the only kind of sin i like to talk about but there's a whole nother half to the equation it's called the sins of omission those are the things we are commanded to do but we don't the first one is we do things we're not supposed to do. The second one is we don't do the things we're supposed to do. That's the one nobody wants to talk about. Because you play dumb, Ah, oh, I didn't know, oh, I didn't realize it. You didn't realize it because you were too distracted with yourself. Distract yourself enough in this world, you don't even realize there are other people in it. just kind of oh yeah right some people do that on purpose so they don't have to live so the religious part of us doesn't like to focus on the sins of omission the things we're commanded to do but don't do again our instigating point just food for thought up here in the board the source of our confidence jesus is the only person worthy of possessing self-confidence our confidence must be in him not ourselves we might call this Christ confidence this is where on sunday the spirit began teaching us about his unique power go to philippians 4:13 philippians 4:13 this is wonderful news wonderful philippians 4:13 is wonderful news especially if you understand what it means. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's Christ's confidence. That's not self-confidence. That's Christ's confidence. Him, of course, refers to the Spirit's power. We are to walk by the Spirit, the same Spirit as the Bible says. Go to uh, Galatians 5.13. Galatians 5.13. We ought to walk by this Spirit, the same Spirit that empowers us, the same one that gives us and affords us Philippians 4.13, Galatians 5.13. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor yourself but if you bite and devour one another take care that you are not consumed by one another but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh walk by the Spirit walk by his power for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Again, the simple truth, the recurring truth for months now up here on the board is this. Sin is the cause of misery. Sin is when you refuse to walk by means of the Spirit. When Paul wrote in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit, this is a reference to the power of the Holy Spirit for He is our strength. Psalm 28.7 up here on the board. The Lord and His Spirit, is, of course, these things are the same. These are the same. The Lord and His Spirit is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and I am helped. You don't go to self, you go to Him. You don't revert to your own power, you revert to His power. Otherwise, it's a sin, because how many Holy Scriptures we have to see that say that's where our affections need to be directed, to Him? If we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, what is it called? A sin. And the sin is the cause of all what? Misery. There you go. It's that simple. My heart trusts in Him, not self, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts. And with my song, I shall thank Him. I don't know about you, but that's really good news. To be able to lean on the Lord and His Spirit and say, you mean I don't have to conjure up or manufacture or man- or any, any of this power? Nope. Not at all. I've got it. I have you covered. That's really good news. And therefore, we remain in a state, we even sing our gratitude, is what the psalmist say, saying, saying there. How about Galatians 5.16 when he says walk by the Spirit? Again, this is a reference to the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind as we read another warning from Paul on this subject of walking. Because that's what we're doing right now. We're saved, right? And then we walk. Go to Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5.15. <clears throat> Ephesians <clears> 5:15 <throat> Therefore be careful how you walk. Galatians 5:16 said walk by the spirit. Verse 15, 5, 15. therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And again, there's a lot being said in that short phrase, being filled with the Spirit. I'll give you Romans 15:13, the Amplified again, up here on the board. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing through the experience of your faith. This is what it's like to be filled by the Spirit, by the way that by the power of the Holy Spirit you will abound in hope and overflow with confidence in His promises. Overflow with confidence. To tie this back to our series title, The Lord is Our Confidence, we conclude that our confidence, the manner in which we walk, a la Colossians 1.10, is from Him by means of His power, not our own. Paul says, be careful how you walk. Be filled with the Spirit. That's how we maintain a certain confidence up here on the board. Therefore, walking with power. Faith has power because the Spirit endows it. 1 Corinthians 2, 3-5, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11-12, 1 Peter 1, to 3-5. Faith has power because the Spirit endows it. So I want to look at these scriptural references now. Go to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. So the Spirit's just doing the good work of tying faith and power together. And then we'll get back to sort of that threesome of of principles where confidence is there as well. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, no self-wisdom, that temptation, that ancient temptation from the garden. So you would make that mistake, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, and that includes yourself, but on the power of God. That your faith is based on the power of God. Again, walking with power. Faith has power because the Spirit endows it. Go to Second Thessalonians 1, verse 11. Second Thessalonians 1, verse 11. Faith has power because the Spirit endows it. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. To this end, also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Faith with power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you and Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. How about that? Finally, go to 1 Peter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. We can't have faith in self. There's no power there. That's the point. It's faith in Christ. That's where the power is. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be Faith has power because the Spirit endows it. And that's how we walk with power. Walk by means of the Spirit means to walk with this power. It's true that our confidence must be rooted in faith in Christ, but it's also true that for said faith to animate us, you know, we're walking, right? To animate us, to enable us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it must be empowered by God the Holy Spirit. That's how we link all that together. Again, it's true that our confidence must be rooted in faith in Christ, but it's also true that for said faith to animate us, to enable us to walk in a manner worthy of Him, it must be empowered by God the Holy Spirit. It's one of the key litmus tests. Now think about this. Let's make this personal. It's one of the key litmus tests we can put our own faith to up here on the board. If our faith fails under pressure, but we know God is omnipotent, what does that say about our supposed faith? If our faith fails under pressure, but God is omnipotent, what does that say about our supposed faith? Where might our faith be directed? Could it possibly be self? Could we have strayed somehow and placed confidence in ourself confidence in other words we have faith in ourself and therefore whatever confidence we have is derived from that faith which when put under pressure blows up which is why you have no confidence or does it hold up under pressure and you say thanks be to god the way paul described it that's a good litmus test how do you fare under pressure everybody says they have faith correct pretty much Hey, do you have faith? I do. I I totally do. Then it's like just a little bit of the wine press. First thing you do is turn this back to self. Turn to your old ways. I can solve this problem. You get sort of like you know industrious. (laughs) I can solve this problem. God doesn't seem to be paying attention to little old me over here in Dayton or Rehoboth or wherever you live. So I'm going to get all, you know, industrious and solve this problem myself and take it all on myself and prove to the world that I'm a self-reliant, self-confident man or woman. Just watch me go. Fast forward a month. Misery. (laughs) Misery. And the craziest thing of all is that we're like this. How did this happen? What? What do you mean, how did this happen? This is exactly what was coming from the pulpit. Like literally exactly. To summarize, up here on the board, and this is bringing us back to our previous messages. Our confidence is rooted in faith. It is through faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ, that we obtain said confidence. Uh, in other words, it is the Spirit who empowers our Christ confidence. We looked at Romans 15:13. We've looked at Philippians 4:13. Uh, let's look at uh, Colossians one nine to twelve. Go to Colossians one nine. Colossians one nine. The Lord is our confidence. I think it might have been the one of the gardeners. Was it? Who was it? One of you two texted me the other day and said, "Man, I've been reading Colossians. I've read it several times. It's just awesome." John's like, that was me. And it was probably Pat, wasn't it? It was Pat, yeah. John doesn't write like long texts like that. He's like, yo. I love God. God is good. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but I was so encouraged because it's true. If you read Colossians, it's so encouraging. Like, really, and just read it like once through. Uh, And you almost have to do that thing. You almost go back for more. It's just awesome. Anyways, Colossians 1.9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Again, that points directly back to the filling of the Spirit, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You walk by the Spirit when you're filled by the Spirit. Does that make sense? That's literally what's going on Paul basically says the same things over and over again just to different audiences and in response to different stimuli so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that's what it means to be filled with the spirit I mean it is his spirit after all right if he's gonna empower you to do anything he's gonna power you to walk in a manner consistent with himself That's what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the lord that means to place your trust your faith and your confidence in his power to be able to do that for you again so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god get this strengthened with all power can you say that about your flesh Is your flesh all-powerful? I don't think so. So you can tap this wellspring of omnipotence in Christ Jesus when you're filled. Strengthened with all power, a.k.a. the power of the Spirit of Christ, according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks. I love how this always comes up, doesn't it? He's like, look at all these amazing things. If you just walk, what I, just do what I'm saying, do this thing, and I, I swear to you, at the end of it all, you're going to be like, praise be to God. Like, I have so much gratitude that I'm able to do this thing. Isn't that what you see? Yeah, look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, if he didn't save us, we wouldn't be qualified. This wouldn't e- we wouldn't even have access to this power. Like an unbeliever doesn't have access to this power system. They don't have access to it. We do. And we go, meh. They're like, meh. I don't want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be filled with myself. I want to be dissipated. I want to be intoxicated with the world, with the trappings of the world, with the people of the world, with the you fill in the blanks of the world i want to be intoxicated dissipated of the spirit i'm going to take all this on my own and at the end of the day you never give thanks to god because what are you doing except being miserable Hmm. again the point on the board the lord is our confidence our confidence is rooted in faith it is through faith by the power of the holy spirit the spirit of christ that we obtain said confidence In other words, it is the Spirit who empowers our Christ confidence. All of that was instigated by that simple phrase up here in the board in Ephesians 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. All of that. Two messages now, dominated by this thing. One little phrase, but be filled with the Spirit. So don't just read over it. Don't you say, "Yeah, no, this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit, walk in a manner worthy, being powered by Him. Have confidence, have real faith, faith that when put under pressure withstands whatever it is and brings glory to God. Our conclusion is confidence comes through faith by the power of the Spirit of Christ. Confidence comes through faith by the power of the spirit of christ so this recurring principle up here on the board the source of confidence jesus is the only person worthy of possessing self-confidence our confidence must be in him not in ourselves we might call this christ confidence and this is what the spirit's been giving us first corinthians two sixteen. the mind of christ christ already knows all this stuff we're the dumb ones we're the ones who stray and and, you know, we're in misery and we complain and then we're like, oh, my, oh, man, I'm so depressed today and, I'm, you know, I'm just down. And I was like, well, what do you think is going to happen? What, what, all those things, that vector that you put yourself on literally points to misery. Like, literally. But you don't even have to take one step in that direction. You can just look, right? The temptation says, hey, look over here. Stop walking in this direction. All you have to do is look and go, uh-uh. I can see misery from here. Some of you can see your own footprints because you've walked it so many times. You're like, oh yeah, that's I, I wore that path right out. That's the path that leads to misery. Yeah, I've been there like a thousand times. Same path. We call that a weakness. We call that a lust of the flesh. And we have different ones. Some of us are going in that direction and it leads to misery over there. And some go in that direction. Some of us, that's why we don't judge each other. Because Just because you're, you, know, you don't have that weakness, you don't have the right. Because over here you have a weakness that no one knows about. Right? No one knows about because it's covert. Shh. But God sees it. Last Thursday we surveyed Holy Scripture, noting that faith and confidence are intrinsically bound one to the other. The Spirit wants to strengthen that connection in our souls now. Here's the baseline principle from last week. i still got a little bit of time left. The word faith in its various forms shows up in the Bible 250 times. That's just to say that it's significant. It's a lot of times. And I did cross-check it, and it is actually 250 times. The word confidence in its various forms shows up 46 times. That's still statistically consistent. We might think of faith as the gift and confidence the result, just just for the sake of these messages just think that if you have faith then you have confidence that's all the spirit's trying to say so let's quickly review some of this work i'm going to go quickly up here on the board proverbs 326 for the lord will be your confidence the lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught how about proverbs 14 26 in the fear of the lord there is strong confidence in the fear of him remember all that work we did on the fear of the lord in the fear of the lord there is strong confidence and his children will have refuge now i want to take pause again to review isaiah 32 17 go there isaiah 32 verse 17 only because it's just a magnificent principle here that i don't think a lot of people think about i certainly didn't until i came upon this passage and it sort of hit me and i said oh okay that makes sense Isaiah 32, 17. Verse 17, And the work of righteousness will be peace. You already see that righteousness does work in us. And the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. Oh, that is awesome. You mean if I have righteousness, I have peace? Yep. And then, Righteousness, that same righteousness will serve me up? Quietness and confidence forever? Yep. So I want a little bit of this righteousness then. <laughs> I want a little bit of this righteousness. See, now righteousness comes in from the side. And so that's great that you want faith and confidence in the Lord and you understand it's God's power. But he also said you have to walk in a manner worthy. Did he not? Okay, what does that actually mean? That means being righteous. The word worthy means righteous. It, well, translates or allocates itself to righteousness, if that makes sense, right? In other words, you can't walk in a manner worthy if you're not righteous, if you're unrighteous. So righteousness has to be there. So you, in other words, you just, in a very practical sense, you can't just want confidence, go after faith, Uh, etc and then not live righteously because even like romans 117 the righteous man shall live by faith these things are all intrinsically bound together and that's where the the list of that's where the the sins come in if you play that game where it's just sins of commission but you never touch the sins of omission well this is unrighteousness and to whatever degree that thing's manifest in you to that degree, there's misery. To that degree, you don't have the faith that brings confidence or the peace that righteousness brings because it's unrighteous. That's the point. Again, in the work of righteousness will be peace, in the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. And it's very interesting. Up here on the board, I'll give you the Hebrew again, it's uh, Masa Tzedakah, also translated the effect of righteousness or the wages of righteousness. In other words, pursue righteousness, and all these things are added. You see? Translated also, the effect of righteousness, or the wages of righteousness, the final happiness of the blessed in Christ's kingdom is always spoken of as a state of rest and quietness. Now, we have to synthesize that with the verse I just quoted earlier, which is Romans 1.17, but the righteous man shall live by faith. In other words, righteousness, a.k.a., also known as living righteously, righteousness is a function of faith. That's what Romans 1.17 says. But the righteous man shall live by faith. Hmm. Paul wrote, this elsewhere as well, up here on the board, Romans 3.22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all those who believe. In other words, righteousness comes through faith. So it goes like this, in a way, and it's not a perfect thing. I I hate to even, in my notes here, I have arrows. I don't like that they're there because I think it does a disservice to God. Because I think faith and righteousness and confidence, they're sort of a package deal, but I'm just trying to teach it to you. You know, faith uh, leads to righteousness. It's by faith the righteous man lives. So, in other words, you can't can't have uh, righteousness without faith. And from righteousness comes confidence. And the way we test that is that, ask this question, when are you most confident? When are you most confident when you know that you're right? Is that fair? Okay When you have, in other words, faith in your righteousness, that's when you're most confident. Is that fair? When you have faith in your righteousness, your ability to be right, your a state of rightness. that's what righteousness means. You're most confident when you have faith in your righteousness. That's what Isaiah was writing about here. Look at it again. In the work of righteousness will be peace. In the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. So righteousness bears good fruit, one of which is confidence. Righteousness bears good fruit, one of which is confidence. And I hope you see this because I'm almost out of time. In a practical, more general sense, this means that if you walk by means of the Spirit, a.k.a. righteously living by faith, you are blessed. Let me say it again. In a practical, more general sense, this means not just confidence, in other words. Confidence is one of the blessings, but let's generalize it a little bit because Paul didn't just write about confidence. In a more practical, more general sense, this means that if you walk by means of the Spirit, a.k.a. righteously living by faith, you are blessed. Living unrighteously, in other words, living in a known sin, will press you down low. So on the one hand, the Bible teaches us that righteousness bears good fruit if you're righteous you're blessed but if you're unrighteous in other words living in a known sin even refusing to not look at say the sins of omission refusing to look at the things that you're commanded to do but don't do the ones that are covert in nature the little, the little areas of arrogance that you still tend to. All your little friendships with the world. And some, for some of you, your best friend is, is media. All that kind of stuff. Or, or computers, or smartphones, or video games. Sometimes the people relate more to those things than they do anything else. Other people, even. Living in a known sin will press you down low. That's not a blessing, that's a curse. Okay, up here on the board, and then, yeah, let's just, yeah, I'll end here. Again, this has been one of the anchor principles in our series, and just I just want you to focus on the last sentence. We might think of faith as the gift and confidence the result loosely for our purposes in this series but i want you to really think about where righteousness fits in there because the righteous man lives by faith and to so i sort of narrow down definition for confidence what are the, what are we most confident in when are we the most confident when we when we have faith in our righteousness does that make sense all right let's just let's just close on that let's let's bow our heads Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word together, of learning from your Spirit's divine wisdom. Father, thank you for him and his teaching and his power in our lives. We just ask for your blessings as, as we take the things we've learned back to our homes and out to a world that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.